You are Locked On Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for Thursday, September 15th. As always, I am your host with sometimes, occasionally, but certainly, certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. You might be familiar with my baseball-related work at JustBaseball.com, where I actually recently just wrote a little, little article about Jorge Alfaro. Alfaro! I wrote about him. You guys can go check that out. We're going to be talking about that towards the end of today's episode. You can follow me on Twitter at Javipeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, and at L-O underscore Padres. If you want live updates and reactions to the games and whatnot, you know, you want only Padres stuff, I got you covered there, man. I got you covered. It's what we do out here. And on today's show, guys, like I said, we're going to be talking about Jorge Ofaro a little bit later, doing a little bit of a tribute to the lad. A little bit of tribute to who I believe will be a Padres cult hero. I think another example is Will Venable, right? That's a little bit of a Padres cult hero. Chase Headley is like a tier above cult hero for me because Chase Headley was just a, a pretty good player overall for uh, the Yankees as well when he got moved there. So like he's just solid overall. So I don't know if he was there. And also he was just objectively like a near MVP for the Padres, right? But, you know, maybe like a Tyson Ross, maybe a... Derek Norris, maybe a little bit. Solarte, that's a good Padres cult hero right there. And Hervis Solarte, that's a good one right there. But you guys get the point. We're also going to be, of course, recapping this Mariners series that gave us plenty to talk about, at least in my opinion. Um, Not necessarily the most exciting games of the world. The Padres only scored a grand total of three runs in both games, two in the first one and one in the second. Let's talk about the second one which happened yesterday. Let's talk about the bad stuff. You guys know I'd like to get rid of the bad stuff first. Let's do it. The Padres lost this one 6-1, to one, and it was uh, pretty bad from the get-go. Starting from the very first inning, we get home runs from Mr. Julio Rodriguez, which, yeah, he's he's that guy's pretty good. But although very low-key, Julio Rodriguez, um, not the greatest second half, basically, since the All-Star break. Bottom of the first, he hits a solo shot, and then Eugenio Suarez who has been one of the Mariners' better home run hitters, for sure. He hits a home run to uh, deep right center, making it a 3-1 or a 3-0 game. And it's interesting because with Suarez, everyone would think, you know, maybe if you haven't been paying attention as much this year, that Jesse Winker was the big centerpiece that they acquired in the trade. It actually hasn't been. Jesse Winker has not been very good this year. His most notable contribution as a Mariner has been that fight that ensued between them and the Angels. That was wild. And the Mariners were clearly in the right there, don't get me wrong, but that's kind of only the only memorable thing. Suarez is just a super home run hitter. Uh, but even still, bottom line is this, another poor start from Mike Clevenger. And you needed Mike Clevenger to show something in this game because for the Mariners, it, it was Luis Castillo pitching. He goes six innings, doesn't allow a single run. He strikes out nine. Not super mad about that. Not super mad about that because Luis Castillo is pretty good. Um, and I think the Padres have struggled against him a couple times in the past. So it doesn't really shock me there. But Mike Clevenger, six and earned runs on seven hits over five innings, walking to striking out two. His ERA on the season is 4.47 with a whip of 1.22. So we've been talking a lot about Sean Manaya 
uh, for a while now, and rightfully so, because Sean Manai has been among some of the worst starters in baseball. He's been pretty bad. But I want to give you um, Mike Clevenger's numbers from a very specific point. And that point is ever since he called out Fernando Tatis Jr. for rightfully calling him out for the sort of, how do I put this, um, the disaster with Fernando Tatis Jr. getting suspended for the rest of the year. Let me, let me see if I can pull up those quotes real quick. This is the second time we've been disappointed with him. You hope he grows up and learns from this and learns that it's about more than just him right now. That was one part of his quote. When he's on the field, I know this is Preller now speaking, but it's just, you know, I'm not going to read the rest of the comments made by everybody, but I talked about about a week ago how I didn't really like the more I thought about it. It hasn't sat well with me how almost lack of self-awareness Mike Clevenger had in speaking out about Tatis. Now, don't get me wrong. Mike Clevenger could be very well right. I'm not inside the locker room. I know some people who can tell me about things around Major League Baseball, but I'm not locked into the Padres' dugout. He could very well be right. Maybe Fernando Tatis Jr. really is a problem, and that's why we saw so many people speak out, right? Talked about this on the show before as well. But I do think that the more I think about it, the more it does rub me the wrong way that Clevenger, who went out to a club to break protocol in the middle of a pandemic, that I don't know where he's getting off thinking that he can be this the quote-unquote voice of reason. You know what I mean? The, the the figure who's allowed to make comments like this. Doesn't annoy me a lot, but it's just a little bit of a thing that rubs me the wrong way the more I think about it. Ever since he's called out Fernando Tatis Jr., <clears throat> Mike Clevenger's numbers. Oh, yeah. They're not great, folks. No, no, no. Not great. That was August 12th, and now after yesterday, September 14th. Let's take a look real quick, ladies and gentlemen. He's got a 6.15 ERA and a 7.12 FIP. 2.41 home run per nine, which I know can be inflated a little bit. But check this out on for size. His strikeout to walk percentage. He's striking out only 13.9% of batters, and he's walking 9.9% of batters. That gives him a strikeout to walk ratio of 4%. That is the worst qualified mark in all of baseball. Over this stretch. Yeah. Um, it's quite bad. Oh, and also the FIP. The 7.12 uh, FIP, I believe I said. That's the worst as well in all of baseball. Not getting unlucky. This is... This is bad. And I think we haven't talked about it enough. Um, Mike Clevenger has been really poor. Uh, I knew that we saw a lack of super strikeouts even when he was doing well when he first came back. But one of the things I thought would happen is that hopefully Mike Clevenger could be one of those pitchers that is just going to need some time to ramp up and get back to what he was before because he was an objectively great starting pitcher for the Guardians pre-Padres trade. Like, he had a lot of good seasons, uh, some of the best out there, right? Like, in terms of ERA, in terms of not allowing super hard contact, all that stuff, right? He was a good, good pitcher. Um, I thought that he might be able to return to that form later in the season, and clearly, as evidenced by some of those numbers that I just mentioned to you guys, he's getting worse. So yeah, Mike Clevenger, I know that Sean Mania is truly the worst one, but the Clevenger fallback, I think, is only being not slandered as much because 
of the fact that we know he's coming off of that Tommy John surgery twice, so were expectations already low for him in the first place? Maybe. But the worst in baseball over that stretch? That's different. You're telling me you can't be better than Zach Davies? Yeah, that's what what we're talking. Dane Dunning, Chris Bubich, Kansas City Royals prospect, that doesn't turn out all that great. By the way, Joe Musgrove is the sixth worst over that stretch. Should be brought up that Musgrove really has been quite bad, too. Jose Urania, Mike Miner, Patrick Corbin. These aren't very good pitchers, ladies and gentlemen. So Mike Clevenger, hopefully over this last couple weeks of the season, can show us something. That way we actually feel like there is a third guy in the rotation that you feel great about behind you, Darvish, Joe Musgrove, Blake Snell. Or that would be fourth guy. And Joe Musgrove, yeah, I know. We're not feeling great about him either, but I still think that you have to kind of trust that he's going to get back to it. Um, Mike Clevenger has not been good whatsoever, folks. That's all there is to talk about that game. But enough of the sour grapes, ladies and gentlemen. Let's keep it moving. But before we keep it moving, actually, let me just quickly tell you, BetOnline.net, it is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Maybe you want to check out the odds, the old money line. If you want to see what's going on in tonight's Chargers Chiefs game. Maybe you want to see what's going on with the double Monday nighters we got coming up. I know the Eagles are playing. I know we got a Bills game. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I love football. Uh, but yeah, guys, if you want to find all the latest developments for not just the NFL and college football, Baseball, basketball, futures, whatever, boxing, golf, MMA, whatever you want, they've got you covered. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. Woo! All right, let's keep moving, folks. Let's talk about Wednesday's game. Wednesday's game was very, or I'm not, I'm sorry, not Wednesday's game. Tuesday's game was very delightful. The Padres won this one by a score of two to nothing. And it featured yet again, yet again, you Darvish stepping up big. And if there's a theme, aside from me destroying Mike Clevenger a little bit beforehand, if there's a theme that I want everyone to take away from this episode, it is that you Darvish is the epitome of why name value matters, right? This is a guy that a lot of people, including even myself to an extent, wrote off after last year. And in fairness, there was good reason for this. Number one, the age. And number two, the whole sticky stuff thing. A lot of players that got worse after the sticky stuff ban, hey, go ask Garrett Cole how he's been doing. There are players that have struggled. So we thought, oh man, especially those two combining factors, did the Padres trade for a guy who's just a little bit too expensive, right? I at one point said I might rather have, I said might in fairness to myself, I said might, I might rather have Eric Lauer and the extra space of money, and then the assets they gave up for Darvish, just assets, over just having only you, Darvish. I did I did make that, uh, I did uh, posit the question at one point. Look, guys, even an immortal being like myself gets things wrong every now and then. Um, and you, Darvish, is a reminder of why, yes, don't get me wrong, everyone knows that person in your fantasy draft that goes out and drafts the guy who's a little bit more name value than real value, right? You're just, you know, when um, Tim Lincecum was getting taken at the end of drafts for like three years, right? Because everyone just knew him. It was great value. Sometimes you do get fooled by that stuff. But Darvish is a great example of why we always need to keep in mind, well, why is that person famous in the first place? Because they were good. And you, Darvish, a known tinkerer, right? He tinkers with his pitches. 
He's a super freak with that, and he's been an all-star level player before. He was obviously great in Japan as well. Darvish has been awesome this year. 3.16 ERA and a whip under one, which is the key part. Unbelievable control. He did have, uh, over his last three starts, he was walking batters. Against Arizona, he walked three. Against the Dodgers, he walked two. And against the Royals, he walked two. But before that, he was great. And then in this game, eight innings, no earned runs, only two hits allowed, no walks. The control is there. Big time. Absolutely big time control. And yes, the strikeouts aren't necessarily what you'd love to see from you, Darvish. Not love to see, right? You, Darvish's strikeout numbers aren't what they used to be where he's getting over 250. That's what type of potential he had once upon a time. But it doesn't matter to me right now because he's just not giving up runs. And I think the question now is going to be, is you Darvish the number one starter for this team? I actually think that even before the Musgrove fall off, that you could say yes because of the aforementioned name value and the fact that he, yes, it's still possible that he gets hit hard. But bottom line is, you know, the 25% strikeout rate, I know it's down from the like 30s, 29% that he usually has, but he's bounced back this year big time. And yes, the expected stats have his ERA a little bit higher, 3.72, but that's not too much of a leap for me to be freaking out. You know what I mean? And maybe we should have looked at last year, his 3.32 expected ERA was evidence that he would at least get a little bit better for this year. Bottom line is this though, I think that whether or not you Darvish is the starter for a playoff game, and it will probably be a wild card game, I think, and the broadcast brought up this good point um, for Bally Sports about Darvish's ERA in the first few innings versus the end of the um, the games, right? The first few innings, his ERA is over five, and then after that, it's under a three. It's like 2.42, something like that, right? I don't have the stat right in front of me. So I do wonder, in a wild card game, is it possible that, let's say, Musgrove starts figuring out he looks like old Musgrove again, Blake Snell bounces back. He's, he's Blake Snell's been good, but you know he bounces back and he finishes off the season strong. Is it possible they maybe decide, eh, well, in a wild card game, maybe we don't have time to afford the potential you Darvish the first inning, he gives up three runs, right? Like, maybe that's a thing that Padres Brass might be thinking about and considering. I still think that it's a perfectly fine decision if you make him the starter, but they might decide, hey, well, Snell's capable of just going six and giving up no runs and striking out eight. So we'd rather have that over a guy that sometimes gets lit up at the beginning in a do-or-die game. It's just a question. I don't have an opinion on it yet. We're going to find out later, hopefully, assuming this team makes the playoffs. Um, but yeah, can't say enough about you, Darvish. He looked awesome. Loves it. He was, he was amped, too. After he got a couple strikeouts, he's amped, he's rejuvenated. I love watching you, Darvish. I've always loved watching you, Darvish, but this year especially. And as for the rest of the game, not much else to report other than the two runs that the Padres scored, which were really adorable. Um, that does not ease the concern of the run dilemma, I guess, that the Padres have had lately with a Will Myers double and a Juan Soto ground out fielder's choice RBI. Other big thing in this game, Josh Hader gets the save. Three strikeouts, no earned runs, no walks. That's nice to see. Um, he did give up one hit and freaked out for a second. But over his last couple appearances, not bad. Not bad. Um, uh, over his last three appearances, hasn't given up a run. He's only given up one hit. And before that, he did have against Arizona. That was September 5th. He did have the one uh, earned run. It was like the sacrifice fly thing um, after he walked a batter. 
Hopefully, if you consider all the numbers, only one earned run over his last, what is this, five appearances? Hopefully, he's coming back. I am still extremely cynical, I think, for a bunch of reasons. Go check out my Josh Hader episode for why I'm cynical about it. But if you're telling me he's going to figure it out and at least not be dreadful, that I can believe. But I do genuinely believe that they traded Josh Hader probably at the right time. Maybe next year. After an offseason of tinkering and figuring things out, he'll be back to being Josh Hader for next year for the Padres. But for now, I, I just still don't trust the guy. I need more. Um, but at least maybe there's yeah, – I won't fault you if you're starting to get a little bit of hope that Josh Hader might be back. Even if – albeit just to a small extent. Um, so, yeah. That's basically it for the series. Not a lot happened in this one. Got a great Yu Darvish start. Bad Mike Clevenger start. Nice to see Josh Hader have a – a nice old save. And then you had Jorge Alfaro be the only one that drove in a run in the second game, the 6-1 game that they lost. Um, and that leads us to our next thing, guys. Let's talk a little bit about Jorge Alfaro. My dude. My dude. I wrote recently for JustBaseball.com, and you can check out in the description of the pod or the video, uh, the article that I wrote. And I basically just did a tribute to the guy for being a cult hero. As I mentioned at the top of the pod, cult heroes are very different than just these objective great players, right? I think Hassan Kim might be a player that reaches that cult status. But I will say, Hassan Kim, not much of like a meme. We just genuinely love the guy, and he really is pretty good. Probably going to finish with an above three war season because of the defense and his okay at batting skills, right? That's probably going to happen. With Jorge Alfaro, what needs to be mentioned for why I love Jorge Alfaro so much is that he's not a great player, right? Like, he's not. Uh, among, like, the 30 catchers who have had, like, 250 uh, appearances at the plate, he's, like, 22nd in war. Not very good. He strikes out the most of any of those 30 catchers. And it's not like he has great defense. That's not great. Um, it's actually funny that Austin Nola has been much worse than him uh, when it comes to a bunch of different things. But freak athlete and, most importantly, the game-winning hits. The game-winning hits, and I just love that I published this article yesterday. And that happens to be when Jorge Alfaro gets the only RBI for the team, right? I think that Alfaro is just a reminder of how how you're allowed to like players who aren't that great and just appreciate them for what they are sometimes and just enjoy the sport and why we fall in love with this in the beginning, right? And I love that Alfaro had a, his first walk-off of season an absolute bomb at Petco. And that's the other thing. All of them being at Petco makes it 10 times more lit and more uh, cult, like cult fandom, right? That makes him more of a fun character. And hits the one off the Marlins, right? And with the Marlins, let's point out, the Marlins weren't wrong to get rid of Jorge Alfaro. He's still not that great of a player. Um, it's just that it's really funny seeing them just throw a, a, a donut down the middle and then he absolutely eats it. Must have felt good against his former team. Alfaro has had one good season before when he was with the Philadelphia Phillies, where he had like a war of 3.2. That was pretty good, F4 at least. But for the most part, this is a guy who has the highest swinging strike percentage in the history of baseball. The dude swings at everything. Yeah, even more than Javier Baez. I know that hasn't been as many at bat as Javier Baez, but it's still pretty nuts. And I think anyone who's watched Alfaro has noticed that, that he is pretty allergic to walks. And considering that he swings at everything, it's not like he's got the best power in the world. You could say a, let's say, what's a good example? 
um, you know, uh, uh, Mitch Garver or uh, or Gary Sanchez, right? These these, especially in the case of Gary Sanchez, a poor defensive catcher, and he strikes out a lot. But for catcher standards, he does hit for a decent modicum amount of power, and that's what kind of makes it worth it. It's not like Jorge Alfaro's got unbelievable power, right? He's got some. He does have a freak tool set. The guy's fast, right? And that actually does contribute probably to his overall F four and the fact that he can score. And that's pretty rare for a catcher to be able to score on, you know, a single when they're at second. Like, he's really fast. He's a freak athlete. Absolute freak. He has tools, but the game power hasn't always translated with him. And I think that that's an important thing to note. But with the four game winners, as Kevin Acey tweeted, it's the most by a Padres player. Um, and that's incredible in a single season. And, you know, you have the D-backs one, and then you have the walk-off uh, with the bases loaded uh, not too long ago. That was really fun. And that's what kind of prompted this whole thing where I wanted to write about him because on top of the game winners, it's the memes. It's me tweeting out Jorge Alfargoat, right? It's me posting about how I love his hair, right? And I love that his hair is super kind of like mine. Anybody who's watching the video of the show right now would see or anyone who's seen or met me before knows I am a huge proponent of the messy, fluffy, wuffy hair. Alfaro is rocking the Jason Momoa style. Shout out Aquaman. Really fun and a ridiculously stupid but entertaining movie. Loved it. And that's kind of Jorge Alfaro, right? Swinging at everything, not looking great at the plate, not even all that great defensively, but we love him because I think that what's so beautiful about this is, is he going to be a Hall of Famer? (laughs) No. Is he ever even going to be an all-star? No. Is he ever going to have a war above one again? I don't know. Right. But it's just so fun that he's had all these game winners on a team that includes Fernando Tatis Jr. It includes Jake Cornworth. It includes Juan Soto. It includes Manny Machado that Jorge Alfaro is the one that's having the game winners. And that shows you how random and ridiculous baseball can be. That does not mean that he's been better than those players. Yes, not even at Soto's worst has he been as bad as Jorge Alfaro from just the overall numbers and a vacuum perspective. But it's just so funny that he just keeps finding himself in these situations. And what I think is so beautiful about it all is recognizing players that you'll always remember, even if it's just for one moment or a couple moments, right? Like, I kind of like that people who are Padres fans are going to remember Jorge Alfaro. They'll bring him up when you're sitting down, maybe you're laying back, you're kicking back with the homies. You know what I mean? You know, maybe you're in the middle of a fantasy baseball draft. Or maybe, as a viral tweet uh, a year and a half ago went, like, guys, they were like, guys can just hang out and literally just say old athlete names and just have a time of their life. It is true. And I'm actually in a couple of baseball group chats where we do that sometimes. We'll all bring up, you know, uh, I'll just say Tyson Ross. You know what I mean? Or I'll say someone like uh, uh, Kyle Farnsworth. You know what I mean? I'll just say random names and then we all just keep saying random names. Alfaro is going to be one of those guys, I think, for Padres fans that they remember a little bit. And they're like, yeah, the hair and the walk-offs and the fact that he's this failed sort of prospect uh, in a lot of ways that was just a total bust. The Marlins were playing him in left field because, in fairness, the Marlins don't know what the heck they're doing at all times of the year and all times of the decade. They've been clueless, so that was ridiculous. But you take all that to account and that every time he's had the game winners, he says, let's bleep and go San Diego. It's so funny because the team, you literally see them on the steps, uh, like waiting for him to say it. It's so funny that he keeps saying it and like no one stops him. Like I just, uh, 
you know, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I, I find that so amazing about Jorge Alfaro. The only thing about Jorge Alfaro that does deserve criticism is the fact that his success to a very slight, small level has not, it has prevented Luis Campizano, who is currently the Padres' number one prospect, because they traded everybody under the sun for Juan Soto, obviously, that he hasn't had enough of an opportunity. And Luis Campizano, by catcher standards, in AAA, by the way. This isn't a guy who was in single A or low A or double A, whatever, and did it for half a year. This is like, you know what I mean? Like, they called up C.J. Abrams. And don't get me wrong, C.J. Abrams' talent is through the roof. Everybody knows that. But they're willing to do it with him. Luis Campizano, he's like, he's just, I mean, do I have to bring up the numbers? Do I? I think I do, right? In AAA. Uh, for AAA El Paso this year, Luis Campizano has been genuinely pretty great. And here's the thing. It's for a catcher. And I will say this one thing about Jorge Alfaro. I think you could say that objectively speaking, not great defense, not great power, everything that I mentioned, I will say if he's your number two catcher, I actually think he's been pretty okay for the Padres this year, if you look at him that way, as basically the number two catcher. But now he's basically the number one because Aaron Nola... Uh, I'm sorry, Austin Nola, not Aaron, his brother, who's killing it, by the way, low-key for the Phillies, um, that he uh, is, has a negative F4, right? Like, he's been really bad. With Luis Campizano, in 2021, across 81 games in AAA El Paso, he slashed 295 with a 365 on base and a 541 slugging, again, across 81 games. And then in 2022, across that same amount of games, 298, 363, 483 slash line. Before that, you want to go before then? You want to say fall ball? Yeah, he didn't play much in fall ball. But you want to say in high A ball, 325, 396, 510. He's always been a really solid hitter. The only year that he was kind of off was his, um, I think it was his rookie ball year. Back in 2017, he was a little bit off. But everything before that, man, he's been freaking good. And I just think that one thing that is... A slight um, negative, I guess, about the Jorge Alfaro thing is it's given the team more of a reason to keep Luis, Luis Campuzano down, which I don't agree with because even with everything with Alfaro, I just find it hard to believe that with a guy who's been a prospect for a while, he's been a guy we've had our eyes on for a long time, called the future of this team and all this stuff at the catcher position, I find it weird how little of a chance he's gotten because Jorge Alfaro and more, more importantly... Austin Nola are keeping him behind. I can understand saying, you know what? We like Alfaro's speed. We like his athleticism. And just good vibes. He's great. Why is Austin Nola behind the plate? This isn't even like former Austin of the Padres, Austin Hedges, who was a really great defensive catcher, but couldn't hit. But it was like, okay, but he's a really great defensive catcher, so you kind of get it. With Austin Nola, what does he do well? He doesn't throw runners out well. He's not the best framer in the world, at least not enough to elevate the fact that he can't hit worth a damn. Why is Austin Nola guaranteed more at-bats right now than Luis Campuzano? That I do not understand. I can understand, all right, let's keep it Alfaro, but why not Nola? Is it because you're worried about Jorge Alfaro's defense that it'll show up really poorly once you start giving more playtime? Okay, fine. But why are you acting like Austin Nola is that much better? That's the, the issue I have, and I think the issue that some other fans have shared as well. Give Luis Campuzano more of a chance because we do not definitively know that he's worse than both of these guys. Definitively. Could he be? Of course. 
of course. This guy could be the Jose Molina of batting, for all I care. Or for all I know, right? I just don't understand how the Padres can't be giving this guy a shot. And I know they've been staying afloat, but hey, man, the Padres, I just mentioned how they got beat by the Mariners and a good pitcher. They haven't been very good against teams above 500 this year. It's kind of been the opposite of last year, where for a lot of last year, they were good. They were beating the Dodgers. They swept the Dodgers at one point. I still remember Jake Cronenworth going, ah, after they turned the double play to, to sweep the Dodgers during the regular season. But this year, they have, just to double check, the 17th best record against teams over 500, 23 and 34 this year. It's not very good. Um, not very good at all. Um, obviously, their record against the poor teams has been pretty good at 55 and 31, which is one of the, let's see, I believe that's one of the best records. Let me see if I can get it really quickly, ladies and gentlemen, if my computer cooperates with me. 57, 50, I can't. You know, baseball reference, why can't you simply organize the way I want? Is that so hard to organize baseball reference? What are you doing? I am so mad right now. <laughs> Dang it. I don't get it. I don't get it. But bottom line is the Padres have been able to... They're like 11th and against teams, it looks like, with a above 500 record. Or below 500 record. So the Padres need to play better. I don't understand why Luis Campuzano isn't getting more playing time, but at least we have Jorge Alfaro to remember. Go check out the article if you want to see some funny memes and jokes that I made as well. Trust me, I am hilarious. Uh, <laughs> not necessarily, but uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed today's episode. Hopefully tomorrow's episode going to be out. Going to probably be a little bit later because I think I have to go to bed a little bit early tonight. I am just a I got like one hour of sleep. I'm sorry, guys. So I'm going to have to post that episode a little bit later tomorrow. I will recap tonight's game as well as talk about what I've been wanting to talk to talk about for a while is just Padres players that they've traded for that are regressing unbelievably. Not like, ah, yeah, he's been a bit down. But more like, yeah, uh, you know, he can't do anything. Like, <laughs> these players are useless now, right? Like, that's that's the level of luck the Padres have had. Or not luck. Or maybe it is just totally their fault, and it's a management thing. I don't know, guys. We're going to be talking about all of that on tomorrow's episode. But with that all being said, that about does it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast. The only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, at L-O underscore Padres. Lockdown Padres on YouTube to see whatever shirt I'm rocking. One of my favorites, too. Love this shirt. Um, shout out to all my Studio Ghibli homies out there. And until next time, stay safe. And of course, stay faithful. My fire faithful homies, take care.